Welcome to the Blandy Coffee Podcast. All coffee, no sugar. The original podcast dedicated to strip away the buzz, the marketing spin and the hype by getting under the hood and giving you all coffee, no sugar. The only coffee podcast show. Motivating you to take action and accelerate your results with your coffee and your business by sharing tools, resources, ideas, reviews and interviews which work on getting you the biggest results by concentrating on the important small things. Now here's your host, Patrizio Blandi. Welcome to the Blandi Coffee Podcast, all coffee, no sugar. I'm your host, Patrizio Blandi. I'm also the owner and coffee roaster for Blandi Coffee. BlandyCoffee.com. This is my website and this is where you'll find more information that can help you improve your coffee and improve your coffee experience. If you enjoy this episode, subscribe to the show. It only means that you will be automatically notified when a new episode is available. This is a very special episode. It's my very first interview and I could not have imagined to interview a person with such a high stature in the coffee industry in Australia, I'll give you a brief introduction to who my guest was. He's been in the industry for nearly 40 years. He started his very first roasting company in 1968 in Sydney, in a suburb called Roseville. It's in the northern part of Sydney, over the Harbour Bridge. His company was very successful. He sold it. And the name of the company was Bellaroma. Over his time in 40 years, he's traveled the world and he collected over 1,800 pieces of antique patented coffee machines. He's also an inventor of several coffee products, including his six minute air coffee roaster, which we actually sampled for coffee. I took some of my coffee green, green beans to him and we actually roasted it up. He's also an author of four books and he's writing his fifth book. He was inducted in the Cafeto Coffee Roaster Hall of Fame in 2012 and much more that he's done in his life in the coffee industry. It's just amazing what he's achieved in that time. I want to introduce my very first guest being Ian Bernstein. I was very lucky to be invited to his house and I was very welcome. We pretty much sat down and we just talked about coffee. The conversation we took at the time when I conducted this interview, I didn't really realize what was going on in the interview, the, the information that I was getting. It really registered to me when I started listening to the audio and I was quite very pleased and quite amazed of the quality of what came out of that interview. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed it. Uh, we were sitting in his kitchen and we were just pretty much having a chat over a cup of coffee that, he, that we roasted up and brewed in his kitchen. This interview goes for an hour. I've broken it up into three parts. So this first part's gonna go, the interview part of it's gonna go for 20 minutes. And I'll give you a brief rundown of what was going on in that interview. Pretty much the first part of it, we were talking about um, the invention I did because he's invented a, a coffee air roaster. And I just basically was showing him and discussing with him my, my idea of the, the stovetop coffee machine. 
and getting some, some basic feedback from that. That was probably halfway through it. Forgot to start recording. I was quite excited talking to Ian. And then from there, we've sort of moved on to how he got into the business side of it, how he got into roasting. And we're just pretty much talking about, I think we shared the same values about coffee. We're here to give people a great cup of coffee, a great experience. You know, if you're not buying a coffee from us, learning from what we can give out with our knowledge so that you can enjoy a great cup of coffee wherever you are. There's a lot of crap we talked about in the world. There's information out there that there is people talk about without any scientific proof. So uh, it's, it becomes a myth. We also talk about improving coffee by buying fresh coffee. We also talked about, you know, Ian's take on the pod coffee machine as well. We also talked about the complexities of making a coffee with an espresso coffee machine. Some people don't understand how hard it is to make a great cup of coffee. And the things that I learned as well, putting coffee in, in a hopper, coffee beans in a hopper, um, especially those automatic machines where they contain, where they do everything for you, the, the grind and that, um, where the coffee beans are stored, effects that, that can cause and how can that affect your cup of coffee. How too much coffee in coffee in the hopper can also detach from the quality of the coffee. Then we, we went into his travels around the world and his career in the roasting industry. Look, I don't want to take much more from your time from this. I really want you to go and listen to this. Uh, it, it's a very good interview. I think you need to hear all three parts because it was just a general chit chat, but the amount of information that you can get from all this is quite overwhelming. And um, I really enjoyed it and I learned a lot. It really opened up my eyes. We both were aligned in our thinking. And that's why I really enjoyed his, him talking to me about coffee and his experience because he was talking from his heart. He wasn't talking from him trying to sell me something. And, and that's where the truth and the passion came, comes out from him. And, and that made me learn more and more about certain things that I'd sort of taken for granted, accepting uh, that's been said, you know, you should probe everything, question everything. Someone's told me that you must question everything, and now I understand why. So look, like I said, I've taken enough of your time. Listen to the interview. You'll enjoy it. I'm also going to provide links to Ian Bernstein's books and other things I can find about Ian Bernstein. So if you're interested in finding out more about him, please go to the show notes and I'll provide all links for you. So that's enough from me. Now let's listen to the interview. Yeah, so I, I um, saw it and I've gone, it's not really... It's a very nice looking machine. It's beautiful, but it's not what I want because I had to shut it down. You had to shut it down. Sure. You had to actually cool it because the actual body absorbs most of the heat and yes. you had to restart it. So there's like about 10, 15 minute gap yeah, between yeah. shots. And I go, anyway, I was talking to my mates. So I was going, oh, I want to buy a coffee machine, but there's nothing out there. And I, I go, I don't think it's that hard, you know, to make one. And, he get, and they're all going, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, whatever. And then one guy just tuned me up. He goes, why don't you make it? Pro prove me wrong. You know, I said, all right, no worries. He's a very good friend of mine. So what I did was it took me about two years. You know, I started with a sketch on paper. So where did you get the, where did you get the boiler from, the Caldea? Which boiler? In your machine, the, the, which it sits on the stove. 
uh, it's all handmade. I've got all I, handmade. I designed it, and I've got some guy in um in Sydney to actually. It's all handmade. You actually made it right. to my specs. So it's not engineered to be safe. It's something I try to over-engineer it because there was a lot of pressure there. So um, it was just something to do to get it's a workshop. Safety valves? Yeah, it's got safety valves oh, on it. But still, again, I'm, you know, I'm a bit wary because it's got high pressure and it's got to do with 200, nearly 200 degrees worth of water in there, in the actual boiler. So I was a bit very. I just wanted to get a demo. So I've got it for life and I've still got the machine, but I don't use it because it's not engineered. So I don't want to risk, you know, my life or my wife's life or my kid, you know. So I wanted to take it further. Um, it's quite expensive to push it on. So I'm trying to work out ways how to do that. And um, it worked. It, it, took, it, it took me about, say, probably four goes. But the concept of, of actually how it works, worked straight away. But there were just little adjustments I had to do because that, that works on, say, 10 bars of pressure and it was it could it was escaping me it was going creeping up so i had to work out ways to keep it consistent at 10 10 like at that working pressure of say 12 yeah. so when it shut it when it shuts off like when i do the pressure i would have the pressure at nine bars hmm. so um interesting it's an interesting um interesting concept so um, i've I done it and i told my mate here we go i've done it for you <laughs> so um, and I, I look, it, the lawyers took a lot of money out of me to um, pay. It's not patent. I've got a provisional payment on it. And um, it's just pushing it forward because I don't want to go like half hearted into it. Um, I want to push yeah, look, it forward. You know, I continue from, from experience. Um, you've got a hard road to hope. And it ain't going to work. Sorry, it's not going to work commercially. That's right. And that you, unless you can get somebody who's famous to say, um, I had an orgasm when I made a cup of coffee in this machine. Mm. Or my wife had two orgasms. <laughs> even better. Um, but outside of that, to to shift the, the mind of the people. Oh, it's it, very it, niche. It's it, a very it's, niche market. 60, 70 years ago, it wasn't so difficult. People were much more open to ideas because they hadn't been saturated with ideas yeah. from um they'd been saturated with ideas from the internet and all over the place. Yeah. You can now get 50 different ideas about coffee in an hour. Yeah. My guess is 50 years ago, you'd be flat out getting two ideas. Yeah, that's right. Unless you go like a, some sort of massive library somewhere. And, yeah, you know, so, it's yeah. a lot of... So it, it's so much, much, much harder today than, than then. So, yes, very interesting. Um, anyway, congratulations on having the um, initiative and the perseverance. I oh, know, I loved it. It was, it was, first of all, it wasn't anything to do with taking it to the market. It was more of a personal goal to say, I got my own machine to do what I want. Because I, I took a cafeteria I, when I got married and I took it to Japan, Europe. I took it everywhere with me. It was beautiful waking up in the morning and having that, brewing that fresh coffee. And I was going, you know, and I was traveling for about a month and a half and every morning. And, I, and then that, that's probably where it grew heaps. Without travel, I had I had that cafeteria. It was because my I saw my dad doing when he was young, so I took it with me. And then when I went back home, I was looking for this next step to a. I didn't want to go espresso machine at home. I wanted to get something that I could take with me if I wanted to go camping or sure. you know. Yeah. So yeah, interesting. So I did that, and and then from that it was like finding because uh, I did this, and I was actually going to the to coffee roasters, and I was going to look if I push this machine forward now. I want to have a coffee that goes with it, so it's fresh, not something that's from yeah. a supermarket. So they yeah. can, and it was just like 
it was really hard to talk to people. And they were going, oh, you know, they were trying to push me away, not giving me it's, much information. You know, it's, um, I think too often the problem is that they don't have anything to talk about because they're bills. They don't have much to talk about. They don't know enough to talk about. Um, they only know enough to keep repeating and parroting what other people tell them. Mm. So that's probably one of the biggest problems of war. Of war. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I'm not science, I haven't got a scientific background, but most of the people in the coffee industry are much less scientific than I am. Yeah. And, you know, they don't understand what's going on. So because they don't understand, they just keep parroting what they've been told. Yeah. And when they come across two bits of, you know, um, controversial, you know, he says this, he says this, they pick one, they say, who's the better known? Who's the better known? I'll go with him. Or it seems logical. Yeah. That's what I said to you about this logic, you see. Yeah. Um, you know, now you've already expected this to gain a work second later. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really prepared to bet my left check <laughs> that, yeah. that it'll be still 332 grams. It would have been interesting, actually, to to test it before you put it in the fridge after roasting and then taste uh, tested the weight after you took it out. That would have been another... Sure. Uh, but... An, another way of testing it as well, you know what I mean? Um, it, sorry, the, the way that the way that people who are critics of freezing coffee is that it's when you take it out that you get the difference, not when you're putting it in. No, I, I, what I'm saying is like if you put it in, say, 300 grams, yeah. so you've roasted it, you've bagged it, it's 300 grams, then say when you take it out a day later, yeah. it'll still be... To see what the difference would have been if it what has if it's in a sealed bag in the freezer. Yeah. If your fingers are small, can you just tie that up and I'll put it back in the freezer? Um anyway, the, the, the proof is in the cup. That's really yeah, it actually nothing nothing else counts. Um you know, I am just writing a book on coffee now, yeah, as we speak. And you know, one of the things that I actually say in it is that you would expect you would expect with all the improvements that have been made over the years, you know, and I mean, they are a little improvement here. When you, when you actually add all these improvements up, you would expect a significant difference. Mm-hmm. I don't see it. I just don't see a significant difference. And the other thing that I don't see, I don't see any roaster in Australia or the world for that matter dominating and saying, we have got technology that makes better coffee, and you can tell it. Yeah. They'll tell you that they've got better technology, but they'll never tell you that you can tell it. So there's an enormous difference. So so I think, it's my opinion, not a fact because I don't want to seem approval, it's my opinion that you can't actually, um, that the improvements that have been made are so minor that it doesn't matter. Or alternatively, that people's palates can't tell the difference. I believe that, and that, I, that's that's, my, that's also my belief. Because yeah. what part of this book that I'm writing quotes a, a discovery in 2002 by a wine expert in mm-hmm. um, Bordeaux in France, yeah. who got 54 wine experts, and he got two boxes of white wine, and he put red colour in the one and left the other one as white. <laughs> they couldn't tell the difference. So, you know, if wine and wine is easier than coffee because it's all the same temperature, coffee. Changing so, so yeah. you know, to my mind, you know, this is all telling me there's a lot of bullshit going on. I, I believe there is ways that you can significantly improve coffee that you don't need that much to to do, and that's what, like what do you think? Like by buying fresh coffee, that's number one. Oh yeah, sure. 
that just that on its own has probably improved it dramatically. Well, um, I, I, I'm sure that you're right. Um, you know, my um, I can't smell coffee now, but I'm sure in the average kitchen that if you grind coffee that hasn't had coffee in it and you can smell it in the room, mm-hmm. right, it's immediately improved because yeah. you you can you know the aromatics have improved the cup of coffee even without drinking it. That's right. That, that's given you one sense already. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and and just that alone, like I talk about a lot. Um, I, I concentrate on say the little things like twenty percent. That skin is going to give you the biggest results. They give you eighty percent of the results. Well, I wish I could agree. With you. you know, I just you know you little know, things. Look, I've, I've been in I've been in Paris and I've seen coffee there at nine dollars a kilo. The fucking stuff sells. <laughs> so. I mean, you know, retail, nine dollars, you know, so it's obviously got to be a hundred percent robust as shit. Yeah. And yet it's selling. Somebody's in buying it. And I don't get reports that from landfill experts saying <laughs> that the world the world is now landfill is now filling up because twenty percent of all coffee is rubbish and people don't drink it. They drink it whatever it is. Yeah. So there's there's something else going on out there. And there's a lot of that convenience, like those bug machines. They're, yeah, sure. They don't make a good cup of coffee, but the good thing about them uh, is just convenient. Like you pop in sure. a capsule, bang, you've got a, it's, an espresso. Well, the, the Nes- know, look, I've got to say to you, and I'll say it to anybody, I believe that Nespresso have perfected the espresso. I mean, you can't get better than that. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Illy also, you know, but they they spent a lot of money on research and they have perfected mm-hmm. what gets into the cup. Yep. Um, you don't have to like it. But um, they can probably put different coffee in and you'll get different results. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty perfect as far as it goes. You can't you can't go wrong. So, but I think the other so I think the other reason that capsules have come on in the market is that the coffee world has made making coffee so complicated. That's right. That the average bloke has lost confidence that he can do it. Oh, it- it's amazing. Like I, I've, I've got a customer of mine that buys coffee off me and goes to his house. He's changed three machines and and making that. That's what stops people from buying an actual co- espresso coffee machine, manual coffee machines, because it does take a long time to to like to to adjust it and get it right. And in the morning, you don't have that time. You, you just want to make the cup of coffee and sure, run. Sure, sure. So it's there's some interesting reasons. And uh, he's he's. Found it, but how much mucking around he had to do to get it there, yeah. the average person will not do that. But because he he enjoys it, it's like a hobby of his. Yeah. He he's fine tuned it. But I have another mate of mine that's bought an automatic machine where it grinds it, tamps it, and gives you a coffee. It doesn't give you a great coffee, but it's a it, like they they enjoy it because it's convenient. They sure. just put it in and it comes out. The worst thing about all those automatic coffee machines is that if you leave them on and you leave coffee in the hopper, the coffee gets hot. And the coffee deteriorates. That's the biggest problem of all. Mm-hmm. In that, in those automatic machines, it yeah, it's hot. Okay, it's the biggest. Well, that's another thing to look at. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, if if you put uh, fresh coffee in straight out of the freezer or straight out of your fridge or put fresh coffee in, it'll deliver a good cup every time. Mm-hmm. But once you put those beans in there, see the the boiler inside is is being kept hot, so the heat goes up. Right? Yeah. and until you isolate that heat. That, that's can't. actually a very good point. It's a yeah, very so good point. Can you, that, that's, so they sort of work in what I call high-use environments. Yeah. They work reasonably well. Yeah. Um, they don't work very well in what I call low-use environments where somebody is a half kilo of coffee in and at the end of the week they're still using the machine. It just ain't going to deliver. Yeah. 
And, and the other thing is if you do put that much coffee beans in the hot bar, besides the heat, it's also the air getting to it. Well, that's, that's the whole point. See, that's, that the heat will, will bring oil out of, the heat will bring the oil out of bad coffee. Mm. In other words, it'll, you know, when you've got caramel, it'll bring, you know. Bring out the oils. Yeah. So a little bit about yourself, Ben, in, um, we were talking about it before, as you're an econ- economist, you studied yeah. economics. Yeah. And then what well, made you, what made you start in this world of coffee? Okay, um, 1960, sorry, I came back from travelling around the world for four years mm. in 1960, Christmas 1964. 65, 66 and 67, I was working at CSR as an economist. Yep. And um, one of my jobs there was to go and get information from a Commonwealth statistician. And uh, it was boring as hell. I mean, I, <laughs> after travelling, you know, you wake up every morning you know, in a youth hostel, you're going to go to another city. I mean, sitting at a desk is just dead boring. Mm-hmm. So I used to hate going to do this. So I used to go to a chocolate shop in the Strand Arcade in the Winyard Ramp, and um, I said to the bloke there one day, if I open a chocolate shop in Chatswood, would you supply me? He said, yes. He said, but you won't do any good. You should open a coffee shop. So I went to the Commonwealth Statistician, and like a good economist, I looked for two things. I looked for the import price of coffee, which in those days was one, I remember, it was one and ten pence a pound for Kenya. That's 19 cents a pound for Kenya. Wow. Um, and then I uh, looked to see if Australia, if it was a growth market in Australia. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Definitely growing. Tea was on the way down. And then I went to David Jones, which in those days was in Margaret Street, in George Street, mm-hmm. and I saw that the retail price of coffee was 10 and sixpence a pound for Kenya. So I said, there's a hell of a lot going in between. <laughs> so I knew that there was business there. And then I went down to Cantarella at lunchtime, and that's when he pushed me down the stairs and said, no, he wouldn't supply me. And that, so the decision was made literally from 10 o'clock in the morning till 1 o'clock that I was in. And then so the following Saturday, I went to the public library and I got every book and magazine that they had on coffee and there were two piles in front of me about I don't know, 600 millimetres high and I got through the first pile on the first day and then at 6 o'clock at night when I was leaving, I said, leave it there, I'm coming back tomorrow morning. I was at the second pile. And I was lucky because I can speak French, German, Italian and Spanish, so I could read anything from anywhere. And that um, helps. It helped a lot. <laughs> so, um, and there wasn't very much that was, there wasn't very much that was available. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that interview. And you can understand it's only 20 minutes of the interview. There's two more parts to that. And once you connect all those three parts, you can really understand the quality of the person and the interview as well. It's what what he was saying was really coming out from his heart and, and that's what makes, I think, we connected, that I feel connected with him because he shares something that I share with with you and that's providing, giving you as much information needed that's going to get you the best quality coffee possible. So look, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you believe that this show has helped you in any way, if you review the, the show on the iTunes and give it a five-star rating if it's deserved, it's just going to make it more visible to people like you. By making it more visible to people, it's going to help more people.
And that's the aim of this podcast. It's to help as many people as possible. People like you that are really passionate in making your coffee better and enjoying your coffee as much as possible. So thank you very much for joining me on this episode and I hope to see you on the next one. So bye from me and enjoy your coffee. Thank you for listening to the Blandy Coffee Podcast. All coffee, no sugar. Subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episode. Visit blandycoffee.com to get links and resources mentioned in this episode and download the PDF which contains a full transcription of the episode. Enjoy your coffee and bye for now.